not an advocate of hand sanitizer as a uh, habit. I, I like to use it every so often when I feel like I've been around a lot of germs. You see me, right, with it? But I don't. I'm like the. I'm not like the person that like gets into my car and uses hand sanitizer and walks into a store and uses hand sanitizer. I just feel like the overuse of it is not is not good. If you added these two containers up, what is that, a gallon? Yeah, and you what, used a gallon? Or no, it's half a gallon. They're 32 ounces each. For our uh, non-Americans, that's about a liter. So I have two liters of hand sanitizer. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, it's been a week, John. I haven't seen you in a week. I mean, you're, you're really on this once a week in the office thing. I kind of like it. I've got to have the whole office to myself. <laughs> you get to lounge and take a nap and do whatever. I'll do that when you're here, clearly, since I did that earlier. But yeah, no, I, mean, I, I just haven't been feeling well. I can take my I've pants been busy, off. You know, busy and it. phone calls, and then not feeling well. Yeah, they all combine to just keep my butt at home. So, what have you been working on? Anything interesting? Actually, I, I do have something. Well, I don't know if it's interesting, but I, I had to use um, something called named named credentials. Have you used that before? I don't know. Uh, and is this a Salesforce thing? It's a Salesforce thing. I don't think I have. Well, we're actually starting off with a Salesforce topic. Woohoo! Uh, get <laughs> some reward for that. We do. Uh, well, and I, I, I have a feeling that more and more people are going to run across named credentials because the, the main reason that drove me to it was uh, I have to build something in Lightning. Uh, I need to get some metadata. But, oh, Apex metadata is different from the Salesforce API metadata, which means there's information I can't get to from Salesforce. So say that again, Apex metadata is different than what? Than the REST API or SOAP API metadata. The, the metadata you'd get out of using API calls. Are you calling the metadata API? I'm, can, I'm not following. Yeah, so let me... Let me, let me uh, I mean, the metadata API is... Let me API pop this is, stack and, is and, a, talk, okay. and just, just explain it a little bit more. Right. So... I have I have this component that I need to build, and it requires that I access some metadata. So I need to know some information about a list view. Okay, now you can query list views, and you can get some base information like the name, developer name, through SQL, through SQL. Okay, um, but there's more information I need. I need to know, you know, what the query is for that list. The filters view. on it or whatever. The filters yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Which columns it or right. fields it's showing? Well, you would think that you, that you could access the metadata, the Apex metadata. You know, you can do S object schema. Uh, object and then you know access a bunch of metadata. Well, this view isn't one of them that's that's available through that. It's only available in the APIs, and by APIs I mean calling you know either the REST service or the SOAP service to get that AP, that metadata. Well, the metadata API. Well, actually, it does have a REST service now, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's the they call that the CRUD uh, metadata service. I still use mainly the SOAP one because it's it is. That's the one that supports um, uh, the zipped up metadata, you know, struct data uh, directory format, and it will take a lot more metadata. Yeah, the 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 SOAP version is is much better about grabbing and encapsulating a lot of metadata. So if you're trying to grab, you know, a ton of meta meta information and bring that down, it's your best bet. But if you know what you're looking for, or what you need specifically. Mm -hmm. You know, the rest can serve that purpose. So okay. I can go and yeah. tell it, you know, give me the meta for this specific list view ID in this case. Um, and you need much, something more than doing like a describe call in the SOAP API, the, the Salesforce SOAP API. Because you can do describe calls through that, right? Through the SOAP? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But you need more than that. That doesn't give you enough. 
Actually, uh, that, it, that it wasn't be- so much that it doesn't give me enough. It's just that the REST API is much easier to work with because I'm dealing with you know HTTP POST and JSON responses. And I don't actually I don't think the Salesforce SOAP API, I, the describe calls, I don't think give you. I don't think list views are even available. It gives you objects, fields, and what types of fields those are. Well, they should be available because you can you can deploy those. So it has to be available. You deploy what list views. Not through the SOAP. I'm talking about the Salesforce's data access SOAP API, the one that's been around for you know 15 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, that just, no, no, that's just a data API. Right. But you can do global describe calls and des- describe S object calls through that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But it's not really, it's not metadata. Like you can't say, uh, give me the security settings for this org, stuff like that. Here's the kicker when, when, you're, when you're calling something from Lightning, and you're calling into your Apex class, because obviously I can't make a, an Ajax request from Lightning, because that's cross, cross-domain scripting, and it's not allowed. It's, it is cross-domain? Well, yeah, because Lightning is it's under its own domain, and the APIs are under its own domain, and, and they still consider cross-site scripting. Well, because I know with VisualForce, if necessary, they now have a proxy that will proxy your, your requests yeah. from the VisualForce domain to wherever the hell they're actually supposed to go. Yeah, but with Lightning, they've, they've really kind of locked all that down. You're not even... You're not even going to be able to make any of those calls at oh, all boy, through Lightning. I, I can't wait to get started on Lightning. This is so exciting. <laughs> so, so of course, you know your, your next fallback since I can't make it in JavaScript is to to create an Apex, uh, uh, just an a, an Apex class that will do the call for it. So, you know, my controller will call the Apex class, and that will go and make the call out. And and how are you your control your JavaScript controller? Right. And how is that calling Apex? Because the JavaScript controller is running on the client, right? Right. What is the actual over-the-web protocol here that's calling your Apex class? Well, the, the, you, you actually are doing a, a API call to Salesforce, an Ajax call, but it's, it's encapsulated in a, in a certain kind of method that you have, to, you have to construct. So you construct your method, and you do your call, and it'll, it'll, it'll send that message to your Do you know Apex what's happening class. here, though? Is, this, is, is the client doing a form post back to a, 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 like a VisualForce controller? Or is it doing some kind of you know REST call or XML over HTTP or what? What is that? It's just an HTTP call. What's going over it? I mean, form posts are in HTTP. SOAP is in HTTP. I, have, I, mean, I haven't dug into it okay. to know, so we don't know. Okay, so I, I, I can make assumptions. Is this, but just, this is just, but this is a mechanism that's like kind of out of the box in Lightning development. Yeah, this is just this is just the normal flow that that you follow. You know, if you want to make a call to to your controller method. Your Apex controller method or class, then you follow this pattern, and that's how you do it. And it, you get this response, and you know you just you just kind of deal with it. You you figure out the the magic uh, decoder ring, and <laughs> yeah, and you just do it. You know, um, but I haven't gotten to the point where I'm just you know really don't have don't have anything to do, and I just want to sit here and read about lightning. So I haven't gotten gotten to that point yet. Uh, right now, I'm just trying to figure out how to do the things that I used to be able to do. And that consumes a lot of my time. And, and for instance, this one, as as I, you know, as I figure out and I go, okay, I know how to do that. I can make this call. Or I can get this. Well, it, it, you know, you run into these little roadblocks. Like, well, I can't do that from JavaScript. Well, I'm gonna do that in Apex. Well, you can't use user info because the session ID that you get while in the context of Lightning mm-hmm. is not does not have access to the API. So traditionally, you you can what go, API the Salesforce API. The Salesforce has a lot of APIs. I feel like we're not being specific at all. Like, what? I don't even know what you're Any talking Salesforce about. Any Salesforce API, you get a session from Lightning that is isolated from everything. 
With Visual Force, you can or user info, you can do get session ID for the current user. And that session ID you can you can take and forward on and say, okay, let me make this API call to the, I don't know, to the to the REST API. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna query an object in the REST API. Here's my session. And you could pass that on and it'll work. But you can't but you can't with the lightning session. If you're so in the lightning session context, the session mm-hmm. ID is isolated and you can't make that call. Mm-hmm. It rejects that session because it doesn't have access to the API. This just sounds great. I mean, you're really, you're really making me want to go just start doing everything in Lightning. This sounds so awesome. <laughs> I, 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 that wasn't in my intent with this story. <laughs> my intent yeah. is actually a really nice feature that that I. It, it took All some right. setup and it was really confusing. But in order to tell you why is that feature, I had to tell you this whole story. Okay, well, I'm going to try to. I'm going to stop interrupting you. All right. Sorry. Well, so anyway, so I, once I once I learned that, and this is all in their documentation. When you go in and you talk and you look up in the Salesforce documentation, you know how do I how do I make an API call in Salesforce, or even to call the REST API or to call something? It'll it'll spe- specifically say that the session ID is isolated, that you can't make those calls in JavaScript, that you can't do it in Apex with the standard user get session ID because that session is isolated. Um, so what, of course, what you have to do is you have to you can call you can make a call out to the REST API. But you have to authenticate. Because, how, <clears throat> how do you authenticate? Well, that's getting into the named connections um, feature of okay. Salesforce. And what that lets you do is it lets you configure a session. I'm sorry, a credential. It's just a way to say, okay, here's my credentials for whatever service. It could be Facebook, Google, Salesforce, you know, whatever the providers they have set up. It uses OAuth or username, password authentication. So it's just a way for you to kind of set it up beforehand and configure it. And do you have to say you set up for each user, you set up that user's Facebook credentials or something? Well, it gives you the option of you can do per user or you can just do, you know, um, a predefined user that's that it's always going to use that context. And in this case, I used OAuth and to connect to Salesforce itself and just used my account. So anytime, anytime, anything that's going to use this service will basically connect with my account. Yep. Um, but to get that working, it was kind of interesting. I had to create a connected app so that I could get a um, the whole secret con- uh, consumer secret and and code. That's an OAuth thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's an OAuth thing. And then I had to set up an auth- an, an authorization provider on top of that, uh, which basically made Salesforce a an identity provider so that you can actually connect to it and and authenticate with it. And then once I then I could set up my name credential. To that uh, to that authorization provider, and then once I got all that set up and actually authenticated with my account, um, it works. And it's interesting because what you do is to get it to work in your code. When you set up your endpoint, instead of putting the full URL of your endpoint, the URL is actually configured with your credential. So in this case, it was I don't know John's Dev Environment, you know, dot mydomain dot com or whatever it was, and then. Um, so that's in there. I don't have to do remote site settings anymore because Salesforce, for some reason, takes care of that because it's using the name credentials. And in the endpoint, you start out with saying call out colon and then whatever name, whatever the name you gave your credential. In my case, I called it, I think I called it lightning underscore API. And then you slash that and you put your path to, to the REST service that I was calling. And magically, Salesforce sees that call out name and... You know, runs its logic to connect with OAuth, takes care of all of that, and then you know plugs in the the authorization headers. And that's happening server side. It's doing all that, and then all making, that server side. Yeah. And it's so it's making the calls for you, and then like it's proxying on your behalf. Well, pretty much in your code, it looks like you're just 
instantiating the HTTP request object and making your, your request and you're getting a response back, the only thing that you're doing is setting up the the endpoint, but all the actual authorization is, is handled on the server side by Salesforce. Which is nice because mm. I don't have to deal with the with the, mm. the OAuth stuff. Somebody does. Well, they do. Why do you even have to do OAuth? That, that's the question. I mean... Well, this—I mean, this pretty good scenario. But I mean, think of think about—you know—you you have an, an app that wants to post something to Twitter. And then you can set up a named credential and and have all that handled for you. There's a per user. I'm not sure what happens when you use when you set up per user. If it asks the user for some credentials or, or how that works, because that was my first time using it. But I mean, imagine just instead of you having to to write code that says, "Okay, here's the OAuth connect," you know, send me back this, and then I'll send you this, and let's do the handshake and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about that. Salesforce will handle it. You just make your call out. And what, how does the user revoke their token, their OAuth token, if they want to? Or how do they renew it if it expires? Well, th- so there's some parameters that you can set in terms of scope. So you can tell it to refresh the token whenever it connects or not. Um, so all that's kind of handled through there. Um, you can control access using that connected app because that connected app is is pretty much the the context that it's going to run at. So you can it can have you can specify what permissions it has when it connects, what permission that application has. Yep. Um, so it can have access to create records or not create records or read permissions or not read permissions. So that's pretty much how you control it. And then you can deactivate that however you want and that that stops everything. But this is things that normally users get to do. And this is all happening between two servers instead of being a, between a client and a server. Just weird. I don't know. I have to. I mean, I've never. I've, I mean, this is this is integrating two web. This is integrating a web service. So, yeah, it, it it's one of these things that you know Salesforce is you know the big boy enterprise software people now, and it screams of over engineering. Um, you know, there may be justifications for that. I mean, you know, unfortunately, enterprise software is uh, people like to make things super complicated, and if you have you know complicated problems, then you're going to come up with complicated solutions. And that seems, I mean, I hear about this, I hear about, you know, more issues with stuff breaking because of locker service and these weird workarounds. And now we're doing iframes again. You know, there's a new uh, component out. I think, I don't know if it's GA or not, but basically, you know, you're going to do be embedding iframes. That's how you get, that's how you get around. Yeah, that's the lightning container. It's just like, yeah. You know, again, maybe they have good reasons for these things because security or whatever. But when from you know, normal developers looking in on this, it's like, what the hell? <laughs> I still had a situation the other day when I was explaining to a, a really good developer um, who doesn't do Salesforce stuff how some of the things we how we do some things in Salesforce, and they're just they're just like, what the hell? That is so weird, and that sucks. But there's some things you're like, oh, that's that's actually cool, you know. But mainly, it's just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Just whether it's the languages we have to use or just this stuff or the way you have to engineer and build systems and the these limitations, whether they're intentional or whether they're just accidental because it just, you know, is what it is. Well, I, f- I feel like, the, you know, the the whole reason that I started using name credentials is overshadowing the fact that that name credentials isn't a bad tool. It's, 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 an, it's, it's a point-and-click tool within the Salesforce interface that lets you set up a connection to, to another service and in your code... All you have to do is reference it by name and all that's handled. If credentials change or someone needs to reauthorize something or you want to change the user, it's point and click to do that. So it, it makes it really easy. It's, it's something I don't have to worry about. Traditionally, I have to set up some kind of custom yeah. setting or metadata setting object that, that lets you put in your username and password. Of course, that's 
readable to all admins, so that password's exposed. At least this kind of makes it all self-contained. Again, you can't forget the fact that this is something that would have taken you 15 minutes before. Now it's something that you probably, you had to bump into all these hurdles, find out what the hell was going on, go learn about that thing, and rinse and repeat. And you know, so it, what took you 15 minutes now took you four hours. And it's just like, you know, you, these, it's like we get, we're getting more and more of these things. That are like well, that's this. true. I mean, in in terms of my path to this solution, you know, in terms of just you know looking at my requirements like, and but before your your client just would have had a session ID and you would have made the call on it, everything would have been fine. And now it's just like yeah. there are eighteen new layers of enterprise software that have to be that you have to go through on every call. No wonder Lightning's slow. Yeah, and I I, I think this whole name credential thing to call Salesforce this you know the Salesforce API in general was just some a happy accident because I think name credentials really came out to support. Um, Salesforce Connect and OData and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, auth providers, obviously, the identity provider already existed because you can use Salesforce as an authentication provider. And, you know, connected applications exist so that you can connect your app to Salesforce and it, it has context and you can control security for that application specifically. Yep. So I think it was just kind of this happy accident where all these different tools came about. The happy soup. And, and then someone said, oh, well, if I loop that into this and then loop that into that, then I can connect to my own Salesforce instance yeah. or auto authorize, which seems right. odd that I'm in Salesforce in I'm telling in you, my org gotta, and I'm having to call out and authenticate have, yeah, to gotta, make a call to the same 18, API. Eighteen layers of crap in between <laughs> you that's and the, the solution. That's the part that bugs me. Uh, but I, yeah. I have a feeling all these different tools that I ended up using just kind of happened to work out to where they were flexible enough that you could chain them together and make something usable out of it for this particular instance. I don't think it was the intended path that oh yeah we're going to do these three things and that's going to make it possible for you to do X Y Z. I just think it I just think it happened that way and they were glad because now they have a way to to tell developers oh yeah you need to do that. Well we've we've isolated the lightning session so you're going to have to make authenticate back to Salesforce and so I don't know. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of follow up. So last week I talked um, about this little Angular thing I did. By the way, it really proved to be a good decision to build that in Angular. That was something I was not, you know, I was kind of on the fence on. <clears throat> but already where that thing's going, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I picked, you know, a... a so all the king's horses and all the king's men were able to put you together again. Uh, well, I was never broken. <laughs> well, that could be arguable, but... <laughs> You're on the fence. But um, the one problem I... Or one thing I talked about was that one of the challenges when using one of the, you know, embedding a... a a spa, I guess, single page application mm-hmm. into Salesforce is uh, if it's if it's in a context where it's it's not like an iframe, it's just you know Salesforce inserts your app into the DOM somewhere, which is typically how it handles Visual Force. Um, that all of Salesforce's styles infect your app, <clears throat> right? Unless you do, unless you're taking over the whole screen, you're doing what is it? No, you know, no headers, no sidebars, no style sheets, all that. But that's not what I was doing. Like, I wanted it to be embedded in Salesforce with the menu and the sidebar and all that. Right. So I'm getting all the style sheets are infecting my app, and all my app's styles are going to be infecting Salesforce. Correct. And also, like, the weird thing is, was, let me think about this. This was a Visual Force page uh, that, oh, you know what it did? This is interesting. It's a Visual Force page. It, it's a, it's just a shell of a Visual, right? But the first thing it does, it actually redirects to a static to the index.html of this Angular app, which is in a static resource bundle, along with all the other CSS and JavaScript and all that stuff. Um. But but so so now, <laughs> a 
uh, the, so the problem again, the problem is, is uh, you know, we've got infecting of styles going both ways. And and Roger pointed out there's this feature that I, th- I think most people don't even know about. I'm not even, I don't think I have ever used this. And it's basically called like uh, CSS scopes or scoping. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this? Yeah. <clears throat> you had heard of this? Yeah. Okay. You've used this? Well, I use it with Lightning, with the Lightning design system, because... Again, when you're embedding visual lightning style into your visual force pages, but you still expect to have the classic interface wrapped around it, like the classic headers and things, yeah. you have to scope it. And so there's a tool for lightning that lets you create a scoped version of your code. And basically it creates a top level CSS tag and everything else in, is, I guess, a child of that. And that creates the scope. So you, I hope we're I, talking about the same thing. And so, it, it so my, be. my beginning body tag or my beginning div tag that's going to contain all that styles, I'll give it a specific class that says, here's my scope. That's not scope. That's not CSS scoping. It achieves the same thing, as far as I know. So what, what this CSS? I mean, it is scoping, but it's not the official CSS. So what what this feature he's talking about? It's actually a feature of CSS, and you can try to look for the example here. Um, he doesn't have it, but but you can basically say, I think you can have a style tag embedded somewhere in your HTML markup. Mm-hmm. You have a style tag, and you can put an attribute on that style tag called scope. Or scoped, I can't remember which one it is. And everything in there only applies to sibling HTML elements of that style tag and its and it and their descendants. Okay. So you don't actually have to make sure that your HTML has a certain uh like uh, CSS class or something. That so so that solves part of the problem. That solves the problem of well, that stops you from infecting Salesforce. Yes, but it doesn't it doesn't stop the the other side, Salesforce right. infecting your right. stuff. So that's mine. So I don't think that would have worked for me. I looked into it and I, it didn't look like that would work because of that. But I just ended up going up, uh, going with an iframe. It worked fine. I was able to do some weird, uh, well, basically, I guess using kind of CSS uh, constraints. So top, bottom, left, right, all set to zero. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes it occupy the maximum space. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if we're talking about the same thing or not. But at least, at least the scoping that I that I do with CSS, that's how it works. But yeah, the 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 top level stuff that Salesforce implements will will tend to mess with the lower level stuff that I implement. So I have to <clears throat> sometimes I reach back up and force you know with some important tags in my CSS, you know, some different styling just to keep things fair. <laughs> one thing I one thing I could do, and I thought about this is. Basically, in my app, also doing like a full HTML reset. Or oh, sorry, C- you, CSS reset. Yeah, I don't think you I mean. want to do that, though. Yeah, exactly, because most, I mean, I don't know. Well, first of all, the, the, the popular resets out there, I mean, they're resetting HTML and body and everything, and of course, yeah. I could take those out, but I don't know. I, that's one of those things, it's, it's a good intention, but the path, you know, what's it, the path to hell is paid with good intentions or whatever? Yeah. It's like, it, you're just going to run into one the problem after another. Just give up and do an iframe. <laughs> that's what yeah, I Yeah, an iframe is, well, <laughs> well, now you know why Salesforce created Lightning Container then. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I guess they're just, they're having to create a bunch of solutions to solve their own problems they've created, but... Uh, I saw that the uh, they announced WWDC dates, but the big thing here is that Apple is moving WWDC from I know to the spaceship. To, to, is it? No, it's not going to be the spaceship. Oh, it's not. No, it's going to be in San Jose um, at oh. the San Jose Machinery Convention Center. Why not the spaceship? They, the they're spaceship's not done. To, Plus, no, they're supposed to start moving in in April. Well, start moving in. Well, when is when is WWDC this year? 
Uh, I don't know. Um, June. So yeah, they, they won't be ready. Plus, that's not what that's for. I mean, that's, I mean... Well, they have a theater in there, and uh, there, there was always talks about them moving those conferences there, the mainly because yeah. they can control... They can control the environment more. So if there's something they want to be a secret or a surprise, they're not having to transport somewhere where people can see yeah. it and, you know, you can, they can hide you can, the posters you can put me on a record here. They'll never have WWDC at their, at their own offices. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. That's just not something they do. That's true. I think, I mean, I think it, it's that's a security That's usually just a press event, isn't it? That's not a public event. WWDC? Yeah. No. Oh, no, that is, that is public. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm thinking of the private press events then is what I'm thinking. Now, those they'll, they'll have. Yeah. At those their, are the ones I'm yeah. thinking of, yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm always amazed. You know, WWDC is, well, first of all, you know, I don't know what the number of Apple developers there are between, you know, Mac and iOS and everything, but it's, you know, if Salesforce has 3 million developers, then Apple's got to have like 30 million or 300 million, which, of course, is not, none of those are even close to being accurate. (laughs) They're off by probably at least a couple of orders of magnitude. But, um, yeah, they only let, 5,000, they only sell or 5,000 tickets. And I oh, think... Could you imagine 300 million developers each paying $100 a year? No, it's not 300 million. I don't know what it is, but... But I'm just still... Multiply yeah. that. That's that's some We should, some we should find right out. There. I bet it's not even 3 million. Because Salesforce doesn't charge you to be, a, to be on their development tools like Apple does. No, that's because we're all paying a bunch of money and, and maintenance certification fees and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, five thousand, uh, and it's that you know it's the lottery thing. Yeah, you have to, and I think like one out of ten people actually get a ticket or something like that. It's but only I don't know 5, that I'd want to. I don't think I'd want to go if I if I was in the lottery. I'd I'd feel so much pressure to make to do something with that, knowing that I got it and a bunch of other people who may be more deserving of me. Like maybe I'm just I I, I love Apple stuff, but I'm I'm not an active developer. So yeah. for me to get it, I would feel like I'd rob someone who is right. a you know, yeah. hardcore developer. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's not cheap. And, of course, just going to California, and of course, it'll probably be cheaper. Well, I don't know. San Jose is expensive, too. But um, it's just always a big expense to go to something like that. But It's closer to the beaches, though, isn't it? San Jose? Isn't it? Or I think it's somewhere no. else. No. San Jose is like right... Well, I mean, it's right at the kind of the, the bottom of the San Francisco Bay, but... I mean, I think it's San Diego? That's, that's Southern California. Yeah, I don't know California. <laughs> yes, I've been to like a few places in, in John in San failed Francisco. geography, <laughs> and uh, right, and then San Francisco in California. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one of the places I went to was on the beach. But isn't it interesting that you know Salesforce? They they that well they say what do they, what do they say? Two hundred thousand people go to Dreamforce. I don't even know if that's close to that. But it's it's well, a we lot have of numbers. Oh, right? well, we have well we you know Salesforce tells you they they always you know PR had the number of people that register for. Yeah, in any form or fashion for Dreamforce, we don't know how many people actually go to Dreamforce. Um, but whatever the number is, it's it's certainly big, a lot bigger than the WWDC. F- only five thousand developers get to go. That's crazy, and that's where that's like the premier event where everyone goes to learn the latest on iOS and macOS and TV and watch and all that stuff. Uh, also interesting, I just saw in the same articles uh, Google Google is moving or they moved uh, Google I/O from San Francisco to Mountain View last year. And Facebook is moving. It's what is theirs called? F eight or F something? Um, from San Francisco to uh, also to San Jose. Huh. But we know Dreamforce will never move. I guess Dreamforce they're going to have you know Moscone and all of themselves all yeah. year long. Well, them and Oracle. <clears throat> yeah, it's true. 
They're they're in a permanent pissing match down there. I wouldn't be surprised if Oracle moved because Oracle's not in San Francisco. They're down in Mountain View or Redwood Shores, one of those. Maybe Silicon Valley. I don't think San Francisco is considered Silicon Valley, though. That's interesting. People always loop it in, but it's really not Silicon Valley. It's not in the valley. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I have a related thing, though, I thought was interesting, which is uh, a uh, it's, it's basically the salary that you would need to buy a home in various parts of the country. And, and it's actually, they're highlighting like the top, the most expensive ones. So it starts with Salt Lake City, number 23 on the list. You need, you have to have, uh, your salary needs to be $51,500 a year. And that'll get you a $282,000 home, I guess. Oh, no, that's the median home, two hundred eighty-two. So whatever, $51,000, you can probably qualify for a $150,000 house. And then you got like Austin, or Round Rock, Austin slash Round Rock, whatever. But let me let me scroll to the the good stuff here. So was that one on the lower end of things? Uh, yeah, but it's still this is the top. This list is the top, but it's right. at the it's at the bottom of the top. <laughs> um, number two on the list, San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward. You have to have a one hundred and fifty three thousand dollars salary to. I guess to buy this, it, like the most entry level home, I think that's what they're talking about here. And the median home cost is eight hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars. Wow! But the number one, John, guess what it is? Uh, New York, San Jose, uh, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, so Silicon Valley. Oh, wow. um, one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars salary to get into a home, and the median home price is a million dollars. Wow. Uh. I thought I saw something else interesting on here. Number eight. So do you remember when uh, Salesforce is opening a new office up in what was it? Be- it was Bellevue, right? And the, to try to to do um, AI st- Einstein stuff. Oh, right. Or they're going to be working with the Einstein yeah. team or whatever. <clears throat> and I guess you know maybe Salesforce is opening an office there because they've. I mean, there's just only so many people you can fit in. I mean, that's the problem with San Francisco, right? It's already. It's already ridiculously expensive. Housing is impossible. No one can afford to live there. Even if, I mean, the, actually, the only people that can't afford to live there are the bankers and the the high paid tech workers. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, that's why they've driven all the cool people out of the city. You know. <laughs> um. So so Salesforce, you know, is like, oh, gosh, we got to expand. You know, we need to, we need an office somewhere else so we can tap into a different. Uh, we need more labor pool, right, available right. to us. So what they do they pick another one of the almost most expensive and tapped out areas. In the country, which is Bellevue, Washington. <laughs> well, I thought that's where most of those guys from, um, uh, shoot, from their AI team came from. Well, I don't know. They, they, I mean, the AI team is is kind of a group combined of a bunch of different acquisitions. What so. is it like MetaMind? I don't know where MetaMind was. I think I think they was up there. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that's where uh, uh, Microsoft is, right? That's where. Uh, isn't that where that's that's Amazon's home? Mm-hmm. Which is probably why everything's so expensive there, but yeah, I want to say that's where they were at. So I don't know. And it was Santa Cruz. That's what I was hint, thinking. Hint, by to, the way, hint to Salesforce's planners: there are much cheaper areas that have a, a, a very good labor pool available to you if you will just look somewhere other than coasts. <laughs> but I think Salesforce is anti, you know, anything but coast. Well. It, okay, it, so it fits their personality. So it was Santa Cruz, which is south of San Jose, and so that's yeah, where just it was. south of San. What yeah. is, what was in Santa Cruz? Uh, where I went and I was on the beach. 
Oh yeah, for work. I'm going to be taking a vacation this summer if it if all things if these things work out, and we're gonna. I, I th- I'm guessing we're probably going to fly into San Jose and get cars, and then basically drive to Santa Cruz, and it's going to be a wine trip, mainly a wine trip, but with some beer stuff too. And we're just basically going to drive start at Santa Cruz and just drive south through um, San Luis Obispo County, Santa Barbara County. And just, you know, Paso Robles. So we'll, in addition to all the wineries there, we'll also we'll hit Firestone Walkers and Paso Robles. So you're going to stay in Santa Cruz? We're going to stay. We're, well, we're going to, I don't know where we'll stay. We're going to actually have to plan out where we're going to be because we're going to start north and drive south. And we're going to, we're not driving back up. We're just going to stay at a different place every night. And then we, we may end up flying out of like somewhere south, like Santa Barbara or, um, yeah, I've actually I've flown out of Santa if Barbara. I, if I remember that drive, Hopefully that, that, that drive was LA. pretty curvy. Depends on, you know, yeah, it depends on where you want to go. I mean, there's, you can take the one, or is that, is the one or the one one? What's the one that goes along the coast? I think it's the one. Um, and that's, you know, curvy and somewhat treacherous or whatever, but it's beautiful, right? That's, yeah. if you want the scenery and you want to be along the coast, you take that. But if you, if you want to get from Northern California to Southern California fastest, you take one of these highways that's more interior, that's, you know, normal. Right. <clears throat> I've got a few more topics, but I'll let you take a turn. We'll, get, we'll volley this thing back and forth. Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot. Now I have to get back into my mindset because you took me out of it. <laughs> You're supposed to be professional, John. I know. I You're know. off your game. I already off your game. It's because I'm sick. All right, so so someone in our, in our Slack community, I'm, I'm not going to use a name because I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, but um, <laughs> they posted, are you one happy developer because Salesforce transforms the results into an easy-to-consume JSON response with all the information you need to display a record? So this was <clears throat> this was in reference to one of the release note statements on uh, the Lightning API. Um, so it's it's in developer preview. Um, I'm assuming this is going to hopefully replace the hurdles that I had to jump through, but I don't know. Um, but in it, it 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 was just a weird statement in the release notes that it, that it kind of said this, are you one happy developer? Because it returns JSON. Are you one happy developer? Yeah. I don't even understand. It, it's it's kind of like the tug in cheek, like, like, are you happy now? You get to do this, this, and this. Yeah. A long way to go. <clears throat> so are you happy that you get to consume JSON? Well, I don't know what you're talking about, though. Let's explain what you're talking about. Well, as a response from an API. So, I mean, REST, REST is, is becoming the kind of the more standard APIs that, that we're going to start using over SOAP just because it's easier to work with. Yeah. In certain aspects. I mean, there are other aspects where it's not. Like, like say, like in the metadata API, you know, packaging mass amounts of data and trying to push that down in a JSON response just isn't going to work. Um, but I mean, I'm sure there's ways around that. Yeah. So anyways, um, for me, I enjoy using JSON over XML just because it's, it's easier to read, easier to understand, easier to format, easier to produce. Especially if it's the browser that's the client. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 not as flexible as XML, which makes it a more simpler and better protocol to use, in my opinion. XML kind of had this ideas of grandeur of being so flexible that it, you can get all these names and attributes and nests and schemas and validators, and it, it was it all sounds great, but it just got so complicated yeah. that it was just really hard to understand. I think it's got its. I mean, this is one of those things. I think it's got its place, and there's parts of XML that I would just love to burn in a giant fire. Uh, but it's got its place. Um, I don't know. And I've heard you try to justify soap before because I've kind of been bashing soap. I mean, I just I just don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy using it at all. Yeah. Don't enjoy the, the XML aspect of it. I don't enjoy the 
Yeah, I understand that it was flexible and you could include all these things and you had all these schemas, well, the, schemas and so validators. The thing, is, the thing with SOAP is you weren't supposed to have to worry about the XML part of it. All the tooling was going to take care of everything for you, right? You don't, you know, that's the no. idea. No, no, yes. XML was, was meant to bridge the gap between machine and people, <laughs> that it was something that machines could read and people could read. That's why it's We're, freeform text and not just a bunch of en- encoded mm, uh, command no. strings. Go, go back and read SOAP. You're talking about XML. I'm talking about SOAP, which is an, which is an XML application. SOAP was designed... Like, no one's supposed to have to read WSDLs, right? It, no. Your, your tooling... The idea was that tooling would take care of all this and would magically allow you to write Java code and C-sharp code to connect to other systems. True, but I think but, more specifically to the conversation we're having of SOAP over REST is the fact that we can... Tr- Transport data information as JSON versus XML. I, I understand the API protocol and 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 the WSDL that the complications with that and and the how you're not supposed to worry about that. Yeah. Well, uh, and my my point is though that it didn't work because all the different implementations were incompatible, and, you, and they end up you know basically landing on this on the, on the document literal format. And he, but even with that, there were there were differences on how arrays were represented, and there's all sorts of little edge cases that the spec didn't address. And so then you had a you know a flurry of all these WS Death Star uh, specifications that came out that were supposed to fix those and improve it and actually provide you know reliable messaging and different security things. But it just it's just all like piling crap on top of crap. Yeah, and I I don't know. I don't know if I'm a fan of of WSDLs in general, of the fact that that we're trying to create a pro, uh, is it a protocol? Or well, you're defining an interface. An interface, yeah. right? You're defining an interface in text that needs to be parsed, and then that tells your code how to interface with that system. Right. All of, a sudden, you, all of a sudden, now you have a C sharp interface. You're calling just methods on magically, right? Right. Now with REST, you don't have that. There is no WSDL. <clears throat> Well, you have like, to understand. Eh, not well, you have to understand all, the you, path and the protocol you're, that you're going to be using. Let's, let's be more precise with our language. REST is, you know, it, it's 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 state transfer, right? It doesn't it doesn't even imply content times. I mean, you, you know, right. you're. I think it's get easy to get into this thing of assuming that REST means JSON or REST means this or that. It doesn't. Right. Not it doesn't. At all. It doesn't necessarily. I mean, you're coming a minute ago about you could you well, you couldn't download all the metadata in JSON. You wouldn't. It would. You could totally. You could make a REST call, and the result of the be a content type of application slash zip, and it could be a the zip. There's no reason it couldn't, right? So let's right. have to remember that REST is kind of generic. Um, it is, and I I do tend to to in my head. When I think REST, I think JSON, and when I think SOAP, I think XML. But they're, well, they're, well, SOAP is XML. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, well, yeah, SOAP is XML. The the transport can be, it that, could be an XML tag with JSON in it, basically. Oh, you could. You could embed yeah. JSON in there. But uh, yeah, what I was thinking actually is SOAP doesn't necessarily mean over HTTP. Like there's there's supposedly you know the idea was you could have uh, SOAP over um, uh, JMS, SOAP or over SMTP even. Mm-hmm. And that's why SOAP absolutely just, uh, I would say, abuses or ignores the HTTP verbs. It has to ignore any transport-specific things. And if right. just because you're using HTTP as the transport doesn't mean that we can start now coupling to properties of HTTP. Just like we couldn't couple to properties of SMTP because, well, when I send it over the web, I'd, there is no, I mean, there's no SMTP at that point. Right. So, where are we going with that and we're just talking about the virtues of SOAP versus REST and JSON over XML. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in some ways, SOAP makes some things easy. Like, you know, look at these horrible enterprise integration tools that people spend, you know, $100,000, $300,000 on. 
Uh, what the way those things work is you you plug in your Wizzle to it, and uh, all of a sudden you've got all these all your Salesforce objects. You can just drag and drop because it you know with Wizzle may not be perfect, but it does define all the data types right. and the things you can do with those data types. And now you can drag and drop your little integration until you hit some use case that these stupid integration tools don't support. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, it, I, I see that, but I, I think I think more than anything, it it complicates. Oh, I remember. Go ahead. I remember what I was going to say. You said like with Wrist, we don't have Wistle. Actually, there's like Waddle. Have you looked into Waddle? Yeah. Okay, but does anyone use that? No. It's like what was the what was the what was the um, registry f- spec that they came out with that was supposedly going to be like this registry of all these soap services all over the web and it's going to be such a beautiful um, <laughs> registry. Gosh darn it. Do oh, you know what I'm talking about? What was that thing called? I don't know what you're talking about. But I remember <laughs> while you're looking that up, I remember transitioning from soap to rest and looking for uh, a Wizdal. I was like, where's the rest Wizdal? And yeah. I was actually Googling where's yeah. you know rest Wizdal. Just because my mindset was there, I, I, how do I, how do I tell my program? How do I create a proxy class that that interfaces with this uh, REST? Yeah, what yep. I had to type out the the path. What? Right. Okay, so this was UDDI. Um, it was it was to be an XML based registry for business internet services. <laughs> so I guess if you wanted to hang, you know, make some publicly available soap services out there, you put them out there, then you register with one of these UDDI services that. It's almost like putting your website in Yahoo's... Remember when you would uh, apply to Yahoo's human-curated directory? Like when you create a new website and you wanted to be listed in there? (laughs) That's that's hilarious that people thought that would work. But this is the mindset that these guys, Don Box with other Microsoft guys, I think there were some... I don't remember who else was in there. But they came up with um, SOAP, WSDL, UDDI, and they just had this... They were way too pie in the sky. And they just did... But, I mean, really overreach. I, I like the idea of it. I mean, I, I, it sounds good on paper, but just you know what we see today and and how these things actually end up playing out and working, it, it hasn't been fun. And and with competing data types from different languages, I mean, and back then Microsoft ruled the world, so you know, you can spin well, up a, a whistle with and, Microsoft tools and end up with something that's not compatible with other well, other systems. The, the, but a good a good. Case in point there of Microsoft being dominant back then was people made their web service, I mean, Salesforce specifically, as an example, made sure their web services worked with uh, the .NET SOAP stack. Well, that's what and, I built my first integrations yeah, on, well, was .NET. <clears throat> it's a Salesforce API. Yep. Again, there's, there's I mean, the problem is, is, is you have the spec, but it wasn't tight enough. It wasn't. It left t- too many things to the implementer, and so that's where you ended up with. Oh, you use Java and you know Apache Axis. Well, it, that's not compatible with um, Oracle's blah 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 or Salesforce's this or that or whatever. You know, they're just incompatible on weird edge cases. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it, dep- it depends on on what data types you're exposing. Because you know certain data types. You know, certain languages are aware of certain data types, and if you expose those, if you don't get down to base SOAP data types, if you somehow expose some low-level data type, I'll give you an example. And I'm, I'm not even sure if this is real or not, but I remember one API I was working with. It looked like it exposed a system I/O namespace, like an, an object that was meant for system I/O, yeah. which meant only .NET could access and group right. create oh, yeah. that. Oh yeah, I've seen. Oh yeah, you see these .NET guys that that 
build web services and they give you the whistle, expect you to go out and you're like, dude, this is not going to work with anything. If you don't, <laughs> <laughs> it'll work with another time. Well, and, and that just goes to show you that, that that that's the broken promise of soap. Like you, you were supposed to be able to do that. You build a build a service. And then you can just give someone your whistle to it, you, and you throw it out there on a server, give someone the whistle to it, and they should be able to import that whistle into their Java or Python client or whatever and call your service. Well, but, yeah, the but whistle, these, the whistle that this, their .NET tools generated was completely proprietary to, to .NET. But I blame the developers for that, not, not the protocol itself. The developer, again, again, the whole promise of SOAP was we didn't have to worry about all this mess of XML. Well, that's true. I mean, just sit down and try to explain to someone all the different abstractions that Wisdom defines, ports and bindings and all. It just, it's like, huh? What? Huh? You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> or trying to get uh, Wisdom to Apex to read a soap and you exactly. have to go delete some no. bindings. I mean, I, you know, I, I sit down with, watch, you know, some smart people try to figure out how to get something to um, work with you know, Apex's soap sack and just like, oh my God, this is just... People end up punting and just like, you know hand-rolling their own soap messages or whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, to pop the stack again, <laughs> I, I think I think REST as a... I'm sorry, I'm going to stop saying REST. I think JSON as a, as a protocol for some of these simpler transactions, these kind of more... You know, I, I know specifically what I want done. I want you to create this record. I want you to give me this information. You know, the the... The message and the protocol is simple enough. It's still human readable. Uh, well, it can still be human readable. Yeah. Uh, it cannot be if you do it wrong. But or, but I, I I think I enjoy working with it more. However, I will say parsing it is not fun. It's still not fun. Parsing JSON. JSON. Yeah. It, it's still it's still as tedious as it is to to parse XML. I mean, you're yeah. still dealing with you know some kind of node syntax, some kind of child node syntax, and and loops and arrays and and even even today about, with uh, some what rest about circular references. Well, I don't think I don't think you can really even do that. I mean, so there's yeah, there's things you can that do JSON that. can't can't yeah. really do. However, and and here's the other thing is, I think because it's so easy just to say. You know, to JSON string and and, re, and punt and return that back as your body message. That mm-hmm. people forget this is this is a this is an API protocol. It's it's not this contract like you have with SOAP. With SOAP, you say, okay, here's the response that you're going to get from me, and it's going to have an uh, a boolean success message, a boolean error message, or data. And here's the data. Here's how it's represented. With yeah. SOAP, it, it can be anything. It you could know, be. You mean with JSON? I'm sorry. With JSON, it could be anything. It could be an object. Or it could be an array. I'll, I'll give you an instance. On this list view API, I was testing. You, yeah, you know, have to. You basically, what you're saying is, you have to know what to expect. You have to know what the service is going to return. Yeah, and there's nothing yeah. out there to tell you what to expect. For instance, if you get an error, so I, I I'm doing this list view thing, and I, I decided I'm gonna I'm gonna get a list view for tasks, which isn't supported by the API. There there are task list views, but for some reason it doesn't support retrieving them through the API, which is weird. So, anyways, you get an array back, and you get an array of errors. However, if it's successful, you get an object back, and that object has your metadata for that list view. Um, so you, depending on what context, if it's an error or not, you either get back an object or an array, and you just have to kind of test and see what those results are. If you, it, you mean the, the service itself is indeterminate on what you're going to get back? Right. Well, that's just a horribly written service. I mean, well, this is... This is this is what we're dealing with with JSON because there's no contract anymore. There's nothing well, that says this is okay. the data type you're going to get so back. Technically, maybe, but I've I've done oh gosh over the past few months maybe three integrations with other which um, different SaaS applications that have actually nice REST APIs, 
mm-hmm. that are well documented. And even though there's no wisdom or anything else, like I just I look at the okay, I'm going to call. Here's this resource is how you create people, and so I'm going to call that. And they tell you, or I'm going to call Git on it or whatever. And they they tell you they've got even a little sample thing of what here's what the return looks like, and it just works great. It just works great. And I've done that, but because there's nothing enforcing that, it's it you know if the implementer isn't as careful or some reason something bubbles up you, you well you're you end talking up about people this... just doing a crappy job i mean i don't know i mean well this is the salesforce so- rest api soap isn't going to help with that either because you can screw soap up too so well true I, i've had instances where it, yeah it's uh, people have done weird things with soap too but anyway so, so my, my point is that you know that, that is one drawback to this in that you know there's nothing really enforcing what kind of data type you're going to get back yeah it's not in the it's not in any kind of spec Right. Like, there, there's no tool and there's no enforcement by tools on, and, right. and there's no format for specifying what the payloads are, what the return types right. are. It's it's convention and documentation. It is. Yeah. However, I still prefer that dealing with that over SOAP just because I, I think I can understand it better. Yeah. Well, I mean, just pragmatically, if I, or yeah, if I just look at my history, I have, I've had much few, fewer problems with. With REST and 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 specifically JSON, than I have with SOAP. Right. I mean, SOAP, you'd always some, run in some kind of thing where the two systems are interpreting things differently, or they're they're serializing a data type in a way that the other system didn't support, and again, it's outside of the spec or something like that. Anyway, wow, that's uh, <laughs> I think we beat that one to death. We do, but we we will have to play with this Lightning API and give some proper feedback on that. All right, so I have a question for you. The, um, Google has come out with, or they've, I guess, they're giving away. It's not really a service. I don't quite understand this, and I'm hoping it seems it's too abstract for my little pea brain. Um, it's called Upspin, or yeah, Upspin. Have you heard of this? Uh-uh. It's kind of like a file sharing thing. So it's got, yeah, imagine something like kind of similar to Dropbox or kind of similar to Google Drive or these other things, but it's <clears throat> it's quite different because it in and of itself is not a service. Like it's this is not a s- service Google's providing. It's more of like a set of protocol. Um, I think it says in here somewhere. I'll go do it in a minute. It's basically like a set of protocols and interfaces that people can people and systems can implement to support this. Um, it's it's file sharing and it's. It's really uh, more. Se- it seems to be. It aims to be more secure, more gran- with more granular security. But let me read you some of the copy here. So, they say it aims to reduce the fragmentation of current services and the amount of time wasted on multi-step copying and repackaging. Um, repackaging of whatever you're I, I uploading. Guess, or? I don't know. But again, this is where some of it's too abstract for me. But and they do this by it creates a global namespace for all of your files. So like your and it's it's based on your. It starts with your email address. So your email address actually is. The first um, identifier that identifies your system, and I, I guess the idea is because email addresses are globally unique. So, so a file from you might look like you know John de Santiago at you know Santiago.com slash, and then everything after that slash is whatever you want, however you want to represent your data. Huh. And so they're thinking that people will. You know, have you seen this Fuse? Um, it's a it's a Fuse is, a, is like an interface that. Um, Oh gosh, what is it? Uh, um, oh, there's another there's another data access format. Anyway, Fuse is like an implementation, and you can you can mount like in I think in Windows and Mac you can you can mount uh, a drive. It makes it look local, but it's actually calling this remote file system. What is that called? Um, yeah, I have no idea. Mm-mm. 
That sounds intriguing, though, the fact that you're creating a namespace for yourself, right? Is that kind of what it's doing? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And it starts, sorry, again, it starts with your email address. Um, oh, maybe, maybe a domain then. You have your own domain. So Fuse stands for File Systems in User Space. Um, I'm looking for the... Uh, what was the name? Uh, web, WebDAV or WebDAV. That's what it is. You know, you, you that use this? Familiar. Yeah, so it's, um, it's an extension of HTTP that allows clients to perform remote web content authoring. So it's designed for actually like really a bad way of developing web apps, which is like... <laughs> I think I think you basically it allows you to directly edit like files on a remote web server. Oh, oh, that's that was the original idea, but people created like the again like these like a fuse type of implementation, and you could you can mount a web dev or web dev file system on your remote machine, and so they're thinking people do similar things here. But um, yeah, here's another description: Upspin is a layer of infrastructure that other software and services can build on to facilitate secure access and sharing. Upspin is not an app or a web service, but it's rather it's a suite of software components intended to run on the network and on devices connected to it that provide a secure, modern information storage and sharing network. But it's interesting, you know, like with, um, with Dropbox, for example, Dropbox, you have one key that secures all your data. Um, with Google Apps, same thing. And, and like, and for example, with Google, Google, I mean, it's on Google side. It's unencrypted. Like they can see your data. It's it's transparent to them. Mm-hmm. Um, with this system, it's it uses it's a PKI, and you've got your own key, um, and everyone else does too. But when you when I decide I want to share a file with you, it in, it's in, it encrypts it in a way that it's decryptable by my key and your key. And if we want to share that with someone else, it would be and their key. But it's still completely uh, opaque and uh, to. Any of the transports or the like, when if people come up with software as a service things that that are run that run this, it, it will be completely encrypted and, and opaque to them, uh, except for metadata. There's there's going to be a metadata with associated with like the directories and stuff, mm-hmm. so that um, basically I think the services have to be able to know how to how to traverse your your file system, but the actual content of the data is, is still completely secure. So know, that's that was interesting, and I'm, I don't know, I was just. For try, I'm trying to wrap my head around it and understand how people might use this. And I also wonder, is this, thing, is this one of those things kind of like PGP, which is works and is a pretty good solution, but it's too nerdy for like 98% of people, right? That was going to be my question, is who's the target for this? I mean, who's, who's going to just start using this? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's one of those things where someone will build a business around this and it'll, it'll pop up a service that, or competing ones yeah, uh, maybe that people can use this for. I don't know. Seems interesting. Kind of nerdy at this point, I guess. You're nerdy and you know. Well, because just what was it last week that we talked about that this crazy distributed high performance database they released? But now that is a Google service. Like they run that. That runs on the you know GCP, I guess. All right, your turn. And back to you, John. Uh, I wanted to get into this question because I, I, when I, when I read it, I thought it was a pretty good question, and it flipped a lot of our conversations on its head, and kind of has us look at things from a different lens or point of view. Okay. Uh, so this is an anonymous question that came to us on our uh, email info at gooddayserpodcast dot com. Uh, question is: My question for you both is: What advice would you give for an admin to monitor dev devs work to ensure that they are testing for all possibilities when you are as an admin and cannot code? but can read it. 
the org I'm working in is a dev-heavy company, and our org is 80-something percent code usage, and there are plenty of large classes written by multiple developers over a few years mm-hmm. with horrible working practice found in a few months. Um, I think that was more of a story than the question, but I guess the question here is, you know, as, as an admin, you know, hearing all the conversations we have about, you know, making sure that things are co- tested properly and, and, you know, they're following good, and to use the word you hate, best practices, you know, we usually cover that from our perspective of, you know, the things that we try to drive in a project. But what about an admin? What should they be looking for? Well, I think, I, I, I think it's asking too much of an admin to say, to, to expect an admin to buy themselves. Even if they can read some code, um, it, it's asking too much of, of an admin to be able to be a, a, an engineering lead, basically, in this case. I mean, that's who, that's the type of thing you're talking about. You need to find one of these developers figure out who what you know which one is a is a good engineer that that knows how to write testable code that has good work ethic and good practices find the best one and like make them the quality like a dev lead or something and start having rules start you know doing don't let anyone commit code without going through pull requests or or some kind of code review well, I think that's the question, you know, you know, from an admin's perspective, let's take food, you, you know, you can, you can be at a restaurant and you can, you may not know how to cook, but you know, bad food when you taste it, you know, well, when, well, when you're, when you're developing a system or you're working a system, you can mm, tell. Bad analogy because yeah, I know bad food, but when they were making it, I might not have had any idea whether they were doing the right things or not. I don't know if that's the right amount of flour or, you know, that kind of thing. So but that's and, what he's and, asking. He needs, he's asking like, how can I make sure that they are doing the right things? Well, with when, if I'm looking at a chef, I'm not, I don't know necessarily if they're doing the right things, but when I get the final product, I'll be able to tell you yes or no. I, I know good food when I taste it. I know bad food when I taste it. But in the process, I'm not a, I'm not a chef, so I, you know, I don't know. And I think it's the same thing here. Like The admin, they're going to know when it's not right because stuff's going to be broken in production. They're, you're probably going to have a lot of um, regressions just on every time you push. You know, They might add a new feature, but you, know, you add one new thing and break two things every time you, you push, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> I mean, that's the sign. That, well, You've got a, you've got a, a, a that's a smell that. Well, to, to take this analogy a step further, because I, I think the food analogy is actually a pretty good one, in that today we all have Food Network and we see people cook things and we watch people make things under duress and pressure and competition and we see we see what happens when you fry something wrong or when you cook, undercook something, <coughs> and the judges give their perspective and I, I feel like we kind of do that with code when we when we talk about. You know, yeah, you could do this, but it's going to result in this, or it's going to look like this. So I feel like some some of the admins out there that listen to us are, kind of have a taste. They they've they've watched the Food Network and they know, yeah, this tastes like this because I think they did that wrong, and they they kind of have this idea in their head of where it went wrong. Maybe, and but you know, how do they give that feedback? How do they how do they kind of enact some kind of policy or some kind of any anything anything that says you know we need to move or shift <clears throat> to doing this better. You got to. You've got. You need to find the right person. There's. There's just. Um, that's just the only answer I can come up with for you. And they might work there. They just. They're not. They haven't been put in the right role, or they might not have been recognized for. I mean, I've seen that before. We just have a kind of a quiet developer that's been there for six months, and no one really. He just kind of does as he or she kind of does their work, and. But it turns out if you sit down with them for a while, you're like, wow, this person writes really good code. They're test. They're they're. They have good practices. They're testing. They're you know they're doing everything right. Like why isn't everyone doing this? Well, because they don't have to. Right? Well, I mean, I don't know. Like find out who's doing it right. Who can recognize it? Who can help other people? And uh, what's the word? You need to um, 
encourage, develop some leadership there in that organization. Now, if you don't have anyone that's that you know that's qualified for that, you might have to hire the right person. But well, in this case, I, it sounds from from the the description we got that there's there's developers here. There's plenty of them, so there should be someone there who can who can do this. I, I wonder if um this kind of reminds me of a conversation we had in Slack maybe a while ago, and it was actually around your uh your infamous. I'm going to say infamous. Probably is infamous. <laughs> your your infamous CI solution. Your continuous oh, integration that's not solutions. No, that's uh, I'm going to say it's, it's, it's elusive. It's infamous because well, no infamous one knows. is negative. It's elusive, John. Okay, elusive. There you go. Oh, we'll use the elusive <laughs> <laughs> CI technology that Jeremy's hoarding to himself over here. It's all open source. I've told you guys what I use. I'd, it's just a matter of piecing it together. Well, we we want to we want to know what Legos and and uh, super glue to put where <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But I think it goes back to that. It, you know, people were talking about, you know, well, how do I in how do I do this in my company? How do I tell how do I get people to say, okay, yes, it's valuable to, for us to invest in implementing this or invest the time in everyone learning how to do this and, and setting these tools up and and just taking the time to to do it. And I I think one of your responses was you just have to make a business case for it. Yes. And it, it reminded me that I wanted to, to talk about this, but I, I we never got to it. And it was it was the idea that you know, us as developers, as admins, or as people in the community, we forget that we're in this business world and and it kind of runs on numbers. And we have to kind of learn to justify the things we want to happen in terms of those numbers. That when we when we say make a business case for it, you have to outline the pros and cons for it and then tie that back to how that's going to improve productivity, how it's going to improve investment ROI on, on the things that you're doing and building. Um, I thought about... Um, that also made me think about when I was at the last MVP summit thingy. I think it was Shauna Wolverton, I think. I think that was her. Either way, uh, one of them was discussing how the community evolved, how it went from, you know, just kind of the community thing and, and how it evolved to becoming a a real department all on its own. And that transition was kind of a shock because all of a sudden they were put in a position where they had to justify everything. Whereas before they kind of pieced together, got money where they could to invest and do these things, but now all of a sudden they had they were beholden to a budget. They were beholden to proving that the things that they wanted to do had some kind of ROI to it. And that just kind of stuck with me that oftentimes we forget that when we're building these business cases in the world of business, you have to you have to make a case for it. You have to you have to show where the where the dollars are going and and how that's going to benefit. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if this person you know has some support, has some authority to kind of make some changes and, and do some things or not, but if if you don't, or if that's something you're going to have to work on, then yeah. And and a, a, I think a great way to get technique for that, and it's just it's so basic, it's cheesy, but it's just like the why. So I just ask a bunch of why. So like, well, why is it bad that you know? Okay, so we have we have regressions every week when we do deployments. Why is that bad? Well, because uh, you know this department can't get their work done. Well, why is that bad? Well, because um, it lowers customer satisfaction. Well, okay, why is that bad? Well, that then because it, it we've got these numbers that prove that uh, our sales go down after that. You know, it's okay. We'll get and then there you go. And then you can start building your case when you when you do that. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's perfect. That's a perfect way of stating you know how to start that business case. Is just start asking why. Is is to be that annoying three year old that <laughs> they want that asks you why after every statement you make. Which I don't know. It, it can lead it can lead to some epiphanies for sure. Yeah. After you get asked why so many times. Yep. What do you think of this? Uh, you okay over there? You're eating an apple or something? <laughs> oh, I brushed the tissue against oh, okay. my. Oh, it's your so your scruffy. My scruffy. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm gonna have to. 
wrap up soon. But I did have one. I got, I got to ask you, um, how are you enjoying your uh, DX, Salesforce DX pilot so far? I don't have DX pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not popular. I enough. don't either. And I applied for it. And I and supposedly they accepted everyone who applied, but like oh. I got excluded. I missed it. I, I for some reason, completely missed out on applying for it. I got, I got an email like right at the beginning of February and I immediately applied and... I think I got that email, but I don't. I don't think I. Maybe I was. I think it was right around the time I was taking some time off, and I just. I said, "Screw anything related to work," and I shut down my computer. Well, and and someone said that yeah, they they took everyone who applied, and so I, I tweeted um, Wade, Wade Wagner today, and said, um, I, and I said, hey, you know, for those of us who didn't get accepted, is are there going to be materials that, uh, available to us? At least you know, recorded recordings or whatever. And I expected him to come back and say, oh, you didn't get accepted? Weird. Well, here you go. Like, get in, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. no, he said, yeah, we're going to make those available. I'm like, okay, I guess they, I guess they didn't accept me. <laughs> that's okay. I'm, I'm feeling the burn, John. Uh, it's just, that's, you know, that's what happens. All right. Well, let's let's end on a review because that's our last thing. Oh, we have a review. We have a review. Awesome. Uh, this one's... <laughs> we have to, now, I need you to re- read this in a dramatic way because what happens is when, when we're at nothing but back matter now, like, uh, uh, then people stop listening. So... Y'all get ready because John's going to read this in a very dramatic way. It's going to be very entertaining. I got to put me on the spot like that. <clears throat> because I like to watch you blush. Well, I, I, I think the, uh, the, reviewer, the, the reviewer's name is funny because it's, it's a... Oh, now da- you're making fun of their names again. Oh my gosh, John. Well, no, listen, wait before you judge me. It's, it's a daddy's Apple account. And for those oh, of us God. who are parents and have had their children take over their accounts like their Netflix and Apple's account <clears throat> for the longest time in t- before Netflix introduced different accounts all my recommendations were like you know Backyardigans or right Team Umizoomi or yeah. something I was like oh. <laughs> yeah. and then I was afraid to watch things I wanted to watch because then I was afraid okay that's going to get suggested to my kid and yeah, no- so. nothing can ruin your day like an episode of Caillou showing up in your recommended <laughs> <laughs> that's sad that I know what you're talking about too <laughs> Uh, All right. All right. I don't know how to read this dramatically. I discovered these guys recently. As a noob developer, I've been an admin for almost 10 years, and I just decided to push over to the dev side of things. Listening to John and Jeremy is the most educational thing I've found. It's like getting a chance to sit on the corner booth with two extremely experienced developers eavesdropping on their conversations. Little lurker. Yeah, no, that's... (laughs) I've I've certainly learned a lot that way. You never know what you're going to hear, but it'll always be genuine and unvarnished opinion. I especially appreciate their sharing their unvarnished opinions on both the good and the bad about Salesforce as well as other topics. Much recommended to everyone. I have a three-hour round trip. Wow, sorry about that. Commute each day. So I listen to the new episode in the back catalog almost every day. Yeah, so I, I guess for him it's good that we do two-hour shows. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, well, thanks for the review. That's, that's um, good to hear that. I, you know, it's funny, you know, you can log in and look at our stats, and I mean, there are people listening to back episode, our back catalog all the time. In fact, it, on, any, on any given day, even after we do a new, uh, new episode release, uh-huh. it's like maybe 30% of people are downloading the new episode. The, the other 60%, 70% are downloading either like the previous episode or it really, of course, it tails off, but I mean, you'll see 50 different episodes downloaded in a day. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, they're, they're getting a treat in, a, a back-in-time treat of our audio quality. <laughs> but it's nice to hear that, the whole admin and developer thing. Because, I mean, we're not really a developer. I mean, we're, we're partly a developer co- podcast, but I think we want to try to keep this accessible to, um, to other people, whether you're an admin or, or you're just, you know, you're a consultant of some sort, or you just, you know, you, I don't know, you just found this podcast and you, you don't even know what Salesforce is. I mean, we talk about other things, things other than Salesforce. But 
I think um I think if I had to think about what goals we would have for this, it's it's that we do um when we talk about Salesforce things, we we talk about some developer stuff. And like today was a little developer heavy, probably. But that's the way I've learned a lot of things. Listening to other people talk, I get exposed to concepts and just uh, names of things, and then I can go Google, well, what the hell was that? What was that? You know, I'll take notes and we'll, go look these things up. And that's that's how you you're increasing your like surface area of things that you are somewhere on your radar. You may not right. be able to go code in JavaScript, but at least you know this thing called REST and and um, you know the fact that you know JSON is easier in these some ways than it might be, maybe why you want to avoid, avoid SOAP. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you may not understand exactly why, but it's like it's just good to be exposed to those types of things and and I always try to listen to people that that um talk about things that I don't know a lot about you know I've been listening to like some data science stuff and other things and you know I might notice some things because I I've got some you know somewhat of a math background but I mean I'm you know there's all these new concepts and it's at least something that when when I'm talking to someone else I, I you start to get to where you've heard this enough times that you kind of know what people are talking about and you can follow along or you could probably even participate in the conversation yeah so that's cool yeah, I'm the same way. I I do pick up on little keywords, especially if it's something I haven't heard before. That stands out more than anything. A lot of times I'll hear stuff that I know and it's just being reinforced, you know, like my opinion is being reinforced, but then I'll hear something that I've never heard of and I'll go and look it up and be like, oh, wow, I just learned something. Yeah. So that's cool. Uh, so yeah, so uh, help us if you like us and want to, uh, if you want to do anything to help the podcast, share us on the socials, tell a friend, Join our Slack community. This is a, a this is a kind of a happening place, man. It's uh, you know if you want to listen to more of this type of thing or ask some questions or whatever, uh, it's gooddayserpodcast dot com, and then click on community and sign up. Uh, leave us a review, iTunes, the stars, the clickies, the the words, whatever you want to do, hardest and overcast or whatever your podcast is. And if you have a question for us and want us to answer it, or if you have a topic, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Yeah, I love the questions. Please send more of those. And we won't use your name unless you tell us to use your name. Right. That's our policy. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>